Tonight's narrative is made possible by viewers like you and Hover.com, an easy way to find and register a domain name. Use promo code REACH to get 10% off. It is a sad day, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is not a good thing. Anyone who's on Twitter is thinking, oh, yay, Elon Musk's coming to town with his sink. What the hell is he coming in there with his sink for? Except that you do get that sort of sinking feeling about Twitter because... It's not a good thing that Elon Musk has acquired Twitter. This is a disaster for free speech, and it's a disaster for American democracy. And it's not because he's going to go in there and suddenly eliminate all these liberal voices. I don't believe he's going to eliminate those voices at all. I think he's going to ratchet up the polarization. He's going to ratchet up and increase the tension in our discourse. So you have left and right screaming at each other even more. And you're going to get even more conspiracy theories out there and even more crazy ideologies pouring out of Twitter when it used to be, as he pointed out, a town square. Um, But instead, he wants it to be an amplification of the tensions we've had. That is why he's been backed by the Sheikh Talil in Saudi Arabia, who's the biggest investor now in Twitter. And then China, of course, I think are actually funding Talil. Same ownership structure, basically, that exists for Fox News is now going to be instituted on Twitter. This is not good. Yeah, he's going to introduce some fancy new features and make things seem a little bit more exciting. But that excitement is good for his bottom line. There'll be lots more arguments, lots of fighting, lots of tension on Twitter. And they'll not be very good for democracy, which actually relies on civil discourse and actually polite conversations about ideas rather than yelling and screaming. He's going to let Donald Trump back on, if anyone cares. Do we know that? I'm reading that between the lines here. Uh, Firstly, let's look at some of his statement here to advertisers. He's trying to calm them down. There's currently great danger that social media will splinter into far right-wing and far left-wing echo chambers. Is there? Has anyone ever said that? I have not seen that. Maybe he's talking about Getter. That was called Facebook. We have already done that. Yeah. Um, So why does he foresee a far left wing um, i mean i talk about the uh, the alt left which is different than the far left wing but i don't think anyone's talking about the far left wing of anything interesting that he's talking about that and he's talking about this having generating more hate and dividing our society you know the ceo of at&t doesn't usually get on and opine about the conversations that are going to be over the wires right yeah. it's just all very strange He's a very strange guy. Sort of like it's the sense of foreboding when this really isn't the case. In fact, we I would say since January sixth, people have been moving towards the center in and in, in American politics and uh, looking for more reasonable solutions than the extremes. Well, also, the, the 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 extremes were being pushed by foreign actors who were shutting down their access, we're sanctioning them, we're stopping them through them. cyber command. We're yeah. you know uh, prosecuting people for that kind of thing. It's funny he doesn't mention that as a factor. I mean, he's been right in yeah. on this company. And-, and he also says here that in the relentless pursuit of clicks, which I, is he saying he's not going to be relentlessly pursuing clicks? Because uh, he says much of traditional media is fueled and catered to these polarized extremes as they believe that this is what brings in the money, which it does bring in the money. But in doing so, the opportunity for dialogue is lost. So is he telegraphing to Twitter investors that he's not going after profits not going after the pursuit of clicks and not going after polarization. If this is his CEO plan, it's going to die. Well, and uh, real actual human clicks are one thing. Stacks of Huawei phones, Uh, faking clicks is another. Didn't we hear about like how podcasts, like a a lot of that traffic, nobody's actually listening to and it's fraudulently creating revenue streams and 
So it's weird. This guy is such a deep thinker CEO. I would think some of that would turn up in his discourse. Yeah. And I would think that someone like this, this sounds like a very calm, interested in consensus person, someone who's bridging the divide. Oh. This is not the picture I get of Elon Musk when I think of his you know, public pronouncements on various issues like Ukraine or Taiwan. I'm sensing a very different kind of figure, but he's not, yeah, he's not doing the Zen thing. He's not chilling out. He's not John Dor Jack Dorsey. With his Jack Dorsey was going <laughs> off and meditating. Yeah, at least that he meditated. I would buy. And, and, and fasting for peace, you know? And fasting. Yeah. Under a waterfall, I think. I mean. Uh, yeah, in various places. Anyway, it says here that uh, Twitter obviously could not become a free-for-all hellscape. Obviously not. But this is where he's saying, uh, I'm going to let Donald Trump back in because he says where anything can be said with no, with no consequences. In addition to adhering to the laws of the land, our platform must be warm and welcoming to all where you can choose your desired experience according to your preferences, just as you can choose, for example, the movies you play, video games, etc. The law of the land Myanmar. <laughs> whichever land because that's the things they're going to do is each local territory is going to decide its own jurisdiction right so oh, yes oh. if Myanmar for example doesn't want wants to oppress all the opposition in Myanmar which they do they can they can call up Twitter and say hey suppress the opposition and then Twitter will suppress them for them um, hey, if the financing falls through I have a suggestion on who should buy Twitter yeah yeah the US Postal Service oh yes you've said this before and it's a great idea <laughs> it's a great idea it needs regulation. This thing needs regulation. It's cheap. This is the digital town square. Um, we should have evidence grade forensic encryption. So every transmission is secure and is attributed to the right actor. So if somebody is committing scams or is working for a hostile intelligence service or committing wire fraud or sending across an interstate threat, that can all be just easily prosecuted like it can with the mail. We certainly need a counter strategy here because letting the Saudis and the Chinese run Twitter is not a good idea. I just don't think it's a good idea because at the end of the day, uh, this is where we're having our conversation. This is where we're having our dialogue. It's not warm and it's not that friendly, by the way. You've got to go in there and embrace yourself every time you go on Twitter. But it is the conversation. And if all they're going to do is amplify that and make it more hard for people to talk to each other, well, just why bother it? This is just all very odd. There's a reason that the British have the BBC. There's a reason that the French own a lot of their major media companies that are in state partnership at the very least. CBC, you may have heard of it in Canada there. But here, these are largely for-profit ventures, but roll it back in the United States on the timeline. Folks, imagine it's 1983, you're there with your grandpa and your dad or whatever, and you find out that NBC is owned by Saudi Arabia and communist China. Well, first of all, what would your granddad do? Yeah. Yeah, granddad <laughs> would not be happy. Uh, I was going to play one thing about, um, you know, maybe we should play it because it is important. Everyone missed this. You remember that big whistleblower that spoke about the spies that were in Twitter? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's washed away past this thing. And then I was like, oh my God, that's a really big thing he just said. So we should listen to it again, just to remind us who's actually inside Twitter. Foreign agents can have multiple goals. And sometimes it's not just the engineers or the technical access that they want, but it might be information about the plans of Twitter, what plans Twitter has to potentially censor information in a government or concede to a government's request, or what plans they have for expansion in a particular environment. 
In your disclosure, you mentioned that oh. the FBI notified Twitter that one of their employees was suspected of being a Chinese foreign asset. I had been told because the corporate security, physical security team had been contacted uh, and told that there was at least one agent of the MSS, which is one of oh. China's intelligence services, on the payroll inside Twitter. We're really thinking if you are not placing foreign agents inside Twitter, because it's very difficult to detect them, it is very valuable to a foreign agent to be inside there as a foreign intelligence company. Apparently, that's why they brought in Elon Musk, because it's easy to get intelligence assets into Twitter. That guy was a head of security at Twitter, by the way. That's not just some nobody. People should watch that coverage because it's really interesting. Boy, I know we have been doing China, China, China. We've been doing a lot of this stuff here at Narrative. And the reason we're bringing it up today is because it's now official policy. The big honchos of the Biden administration single out China as the number one threat to America. It's a very serious threat assessment, including one which involved possibilities of a Chinese attack on America. Um, here's the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. As the President's national security strategy notes, the PRC is the only competitor out there with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the power to do so. Now, my team and I have been laser focused on this issue since day one, including the China task force that I stood up, which produced a range of recommendations to focus the entire department on the China challenge. The entire department on the China challenge. So if you've been not focused on China, it's a good time to get focused on China, as we have been doing this season with our series about the dragon's tail, which really tells you what China's been doing over the last five years, just in the political scene here in the United States, in an espionage terms, capture White House elements around the White House. But here is a lot more. This is a military assessment now that the entire department is focused. The entire department is focused on China. So that's so serious. It's interesting. Uh, the, back in the day, I moved to D.C. in 1999 to work on strategic intelligence. And I had colleagues that were going to brief folks at the Pentagon on September 12th, 2001, about whether there was too much focus on the near-peer competitor in the Pacific. Guess who that was? It was not Indonesia. Or if we should focus on non-state actors. And the day before that, we got a little visit from some of the non-state actors and it threw us off years, time 20 years. to think about those things. And so now we're back at the near-peer strategic competitor in the Pacific or China. But thinking about how tight the time frame is between now and when the last group of yahoos were in that building, Cash Patel, Chris Miller, but more importantly, Jared Kushner, oh, Steve Bannon. Let's just take, okay, so the last administration had a Chinese agent as the chief strategist mm -hmm. and the chief advisor, the president's son-in-law had a nanny from Wendy Dang who was teaching the daughter how to sing in Mandarin so that they could suck up to she. Mm -hmm. And then boom, we get a new administration and an actual secretary of defense who's like, no, we're, China's our problem. And, you know, there's plenty of people that hate us or would love to take our stuff or blow something up, but they can't. Maybe they hate our guts and would completely stop elections and wipe out New York if they could. Well, they yeah. can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Malawi can hate us. They can't do anything. Um, Venezuela can want to remake the world in its image. 
but it can't. China wants to make the world Chinese vassals and they could pull it off. Yeah, they want to pull it off. They're not going to pull it off because everyone's attention is going to turn to China and everyone needs to focus on American competitiveness in all these arenas where we've let China get mm -hmm. a little ahead of us, like the semiconductor space, but also in, in the rare minerals sector. Hi there, it's Zev from Narrative. Have you ever had a great business idea, but just didn't know where to start? Well, one of the first steps to building a new business is a domain name by Hover. That's because it's more important than ever to have an online presence and your domain name by Hover is your first step in building your online brand. Hover.com makes it quick and easy to find the perfect domain name for your business with over 400 available extensions. And with their connect feature, you can easily connect your Hover domain name to many popular website builders with just a few clicks. Plus, Hover offers free who is privacy, that's free who is privacy, that protects your personal information from being released online. Don't let the complicated search, sign-up, and connection process of other domain providers stop you from starting your online brand today. Hover makes it easy to get started, so what are you waiting for? Find your perfect domain name at hover.com forward slash reach. Plus, Narrative Live viewers get 10% off right now. If you use the promo code REACH, that's R-E-A-C-H, or go to hover.com forward slash reach. There's a lot that we need to focus on in America that is not about hating Democrats or hating Republicans. It's about focusing on defeating China. That's really where all our attention has got to be. So when you see this polarization, either it's on Twitter or Fox News creating this polarization or the GOP creating polarization just for the fun of it, what they really are doing is giving China the opportunity to defeat the United States. The more competitive we are with each other domestically in terms of our politics, the less we're focused on the external threats which are real. So we are talking about this escalation of the current situation, not an improvement in the current situation. And they've got the intelligence to prove it. Also, coincidentally, this dropped into my inbox, which is the just declassified National Intelligence Council report from April 2020, when it was uh, first issued. Um, so towards the... This the is on the run up to the election. Yeah. So this is why you're seeing uh, it, some of the stuff is actually written for Donald Trump. But there are some striking takeaways from here. For one thing, they assess that China as the, one of the key threats and that China and Russia are improving their ability to analyze and manipulate large quantities of personal information, allowing them to more effectively influence or coerce targets in the United States and allied countries. Now, they're not just talking about sending out things on Facebook. They're talking about identifying you specifically on a mass scale using AI to track you, to know what your face looks like, to know exactly what your interests are, and then using that technology and using that knowledge to get the right kind of information in front of your face. This is not some guy in the, in the back of a room doing this manually. They could do this on a large scale basis to thousands, millions of Americans. Think about that control over Americans. Also says so that we assess that Beijing will be able to exploit Chinese companies' expansion of telecommunications infrastructures and digital services and their growing use in people's daily lives to exert digital authoritarianism. Digital authoritarianism, this is something they were signaling in 2020. Obviously, the situation has gotten much worse to the point where we now have Huawei in the middle of a espionage scandal in the United States. And growing concern in Europe and other democracies about Chinese and Russian cyber actions and personal privacy creates an opportunity to propose alternatives to blunt digital authoritarianism. 
Um, you know, it was declassified just this week by DNI head Haynes personally and released with that intention. They also know that the author of it, a very credible individual, is still very proud uh, of know, his work. Now, you know, there were political pressures here that might shade one or the other. I'm not saying that th yeah. this information is inaccurate. In fact, a lot of it struck me as quite accurate, quite timely. And uh, I think it did a great service in putting China up probably where it belongs more at a peer level with Russia, with the amount of Chinese hardware that's out there and their technical capabilities. Well, you know, the difference between Russia and China is that we have a lot of businesses that partner with China and have gotten in bed with them. And yeah. to know that they are really simultaneously stealing our voter rolls and analyzing them, stealing our consumer data and analyzing that in a way to, to spread authoritarianism, that was something that was not known enough at all. Yeah, up I until mean, this point. I mean, if you look at the comparison, yeah, there's a Russia section and a China section here. They did a, a thorough comparison of these two entered countries, and there's probably more there. I can't tell. It looks to me like that's what they've done. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, I mean, what they're saying there is hacking opposition, hacking foreign media and journalists, hacking non-governmental organizations and stealing bulk personalization. Russia does all the same stuff as China. Yeah. So put them on the same level. They're both up to no good. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, you know, it surprises me that this document came out and no one in the Trump administration was like, oh, God, we better stop China. I didn't see any of the typical movements you'd expect if you had a report like this land on your desk where it's like China's the big threat. I didn't see them doing anything about it. Um, this is the interesting one, the circled in red here. Uh, we assessed that Beijing's commercial access to personal data of other countries' citizens, along with AI-driven analytics, will enable it to automate the identification of individuals and groups beyond China's borders to target with propaganda or censorship. Such access and analytics would also enable Beijing to tailor its use of range of online and offline carrots and sticks to targets outside China, potentially on a large scale. You know, I mean, think about this in the context of now Twitter has a potentially Chinese owner through Saudi Arabia, and there's that fire hose of data, which we know does not have any protection. Can you imagine all of that in the hands of the AI that China's already trained? Yeah, that is really important right there. The notion that it's not like some evil guy at a computer terminal messing with you. It's not a troll at a troll farm. We're talking about software that is able to track you. And when they identify that you are an influencer or you are a dissenter or you are a vocal critic of China, that they have software that will automatically pound you with propaganda, censor you, mass report you. And my understanding is that some of the data sets that were in use by Aggregate IQ, which is the Canadian affiliate of Cambridge Analytica, that they have big old buckets of names and digital identities from five, six years ago. They already had this and set to jet. Like if you want somebody that's a critic of New Hampshire politicians, they got the list. If yeah. you want people that really love firemen, they got the list. They can cut that all up. But the notion that you could just have artificial intelligence picking out who gets to talk and who doesn't, I mean, that is just as CCP Xi Jinping as you thought as it gets. And, and can you that, imagine that applied to Twitter? Hasn't it already? I don't know. Degree? I don't know. But <laughs> I look at uh, my Twitter number sometimes. I'm like, this, you know, it's, it's bizarre how it ranges and changes. But it certainly makes you feel like they could apply this technology. They've got it. They might use it. You know, there's 147 million uh, IDs that China stole 
they stole all the credit information. They hacked the credit score companies is where they got that information. Mm -hmm. Imagine all your credit scores, all your banking information, all of that's already in their hands. And you add AI on top of it and, you know. All records. Yeah. Figure out who's gone bankrupt, who's got a history of depression, who's taking what pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And then what their political opinions are now. I mean, th this is technology and data that they had five, six years ago. Yeah. And AI is very, very, very smart. So AI could take that data and it's trained to go after Americans who think a certain way and delivering them a certain message. And it, it can figure out solutions of how to fix these problems without even the Chinese needing to know what the solutions are. The AI could just do it themselves. So I also mentioned here, uh, ByteDance, the owner of TikTok has become one of the fastest growing apps in the United States. And it uses AI and manual auditing to filter content and strive to present a positive image of China. I wonder what it does of the United States. TikTok is, you have to say, I've seen the, the creativity that people yeah. uh, have unleashed with it. And it's really amazing. And I've also tried to warn friends and colleagues, do you understand how much surveillance is on that app? That is a Beijing app end of report. And then they get into it and they get a following and they're doing creative stuff. And I can't argue with the creativity. And I sometimes see it reposted on Twitter. It is clearly has an interface that allows more and democratizes thought in, in a really interesting way. The ironic part is that it's being run by an authoritarian regime. We don't run a digital this. authoritarian machine. And I think that's the thing we've got to just start thinking of them. They're not there isolated on the other side of the world, just doing it to their population. They're doing it to us all the time. They are busy taking over our democracy with their digital authoritarianism. It's serious. It also says that they judge China and Russia are using digital authoritarian capabilities to aid their allies and are allowing their firms to sell equipment and know-how on the open market. Their efforts yeah, and sales that. go beyond what Western firms offer, such as AI-driven facial recognition and the ubiquitous surveillance environments marketed as safe cities. They enable states monitoring and suppression of their population. This is what's going on in Saudi Arabia. They give Saudi Arabia all these cameras and all this AI. That's how Mohammed bin Salman is able to keep such a tight control. It's a very, very good report. People should really understand the threat that we're facing on a cyber level. This thing is happening to us right now. We are under attack by Chinese and Russian cybersecurity efforts to really change our thinking in the United States. I'd like to point out that yellow column there, China building on domestic success. Yes, China's tested a lot of these very invasive, very detailed, oppressive technologies on their own people. Who helped them build that? Silicon Valley. Because mm. when they started the Golden Shield program, IPv6, the Internet of Things, that was with the goal of basically total digital control. And that started in the late 90s and early 2000s. And they did not have the technology for this. A number of the most blue chip American tech companies went over there, made deals, made gobs of money, and helped the Chinese Communist Party build one of the most oppressive sets of technology in the world and now it's getting visited back on us yeah. i would love open hearings in congress with the remaining ceos and senior executives who were there i would like a little truth and reconciliation about hey guys did you help them build a repressive regime that ended up in the genocide of xinjiang and other atrocities did you help them build that
And did you know that they were going to turn around and do that to us? Are you guys doing that to us? These are things that we need to expose. We absolutely do. This is critical stuff. I know it sounds ridiculous, and I would never have said this a few years ago, but can we allow China to own anything in the United States right now? Um, can we even allow them to connect with us over the internet? Should we allow them any access to our capabilities? It seems to me that they are so hostile in this arena and so hostile in general that we have to get as far away from them as possible. You know, when I think about the semiconductor war that we're about to have, 90% of those semiconductors are made where? In Taiwan. And we're about to potentially enter a conflict in Taiwan. So this all might get very kinetic, as you like to say. All right, Eric, thanks for tonight and have a good night. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union. And that was just the beginning. The story continues. Narrative, where truth lives.